You're listening to 101.9 FM, KPCRLP, Santa Cruz. Tony Duchesne here, and welcome to Drinks with Tony. This week, my guest is Kelly DeSaint. He's the author of Dispatches from Behind the Wheel, The Omnibus, a complete zine series about driving for hire in San Francisco. Do you want to join my free creative writing workshop at the Los Angeles Public Library? Well, you can. All you got to do is show up. February 8th at 6 p.m. to the Los Feliz Branch Library on Hillhurst, where there will be a lecture and a writing exercise. Go to TonyDuchesne.com or LAPL.com for more information or just show up. Wednesday, February 8th at the Los Feliz Branch Library. And now, Kelly and I discuss driving for Lyft, Uber, and becoming a taxi driver in San Francisco. The problem with what has become of ride sharing, how Kelly ended up into drugs and a dark place, and his recovery. It is not a good idea to call your wife a bitch in a column when you're separated because that's just another thing to apologize for when you get back together and so much more. Hi, this is Kelly DeSaint, and you're listening to Drinks with Tony. Get on the Drinks with Tony show. You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Kelly DeSaint. He's the author of Dispatches from Behind the Wheel, The Omnibus, the complete zine series about driving for hire in San Francisco. Kelly, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm well. I'm so stoked to talk to you. It's so awesome to see you. I, I feel like I feel like we've been distanced for so long. Like, you know, yeah, there was the COVID and the pandemic, but then there was the Tony and Kelly distance too, you know? You were in LA for, I think, a very short period of time when I was still there, right before I left. It was just like, you would just start to get in your, your, your foot, you know, hold down there. And then I split. Yeah. I was, I was like, Oh my God, me and Kelly, you're going to be friends. And then you're like, and then you like took the baton. You're like, I'm going, I'm going up the five to SF. I'm gonna go take your scene back. I'm gonna go take take you the spot you left. Except you know, very similar in that you know you were working at what like Edinburgh Castle and yeah. you, were, like, you know DJing and and yeah. writing about that experience of you know music and just living in San Francisco. So then I went up and started well first doing Lyft and Uber and then taxi. But you know that kind of crazy world, nightlife world of San Francisco, and then writing about that. Yeah, my involvement with it, because from what I remember, what I read about your stuff, it was like you were very much a protagonist and a lot of what I read anyway. Yeah, like, yeah. I was just I was just excited. To, I, I was I almost brought my crates and crates of records to L.A. I'm like, let's see if I can, like, you know, make extra cash because it was keeping me afloat between getting paid like crap from the Chronicle and, you know, the, and then cash DJ nights. It's just like that kind of kept me afloat. And then I was just like, let's see if I can do it in LA. And I'm like, dude, I'm in my forties. I'm going to walk around to hip bars and Silver Lake and go, Hey guys. And they're going to be like, go away. <laughs> I don't know that I, I, my time in Silver Lake, um, I, I was in LA cause I I'm from LA originally, but I, I lived elsewhere for, for most of the nineties. So I came back in 2000 and I moved back to LA and then ended up in Silver Lake with kind of like this, with these hipsters that were like 10 years older than me. So they yeah. were like the hipsters of the 90s, you know? Yeah. 
And uh, then the new hipsters came into like Echo Park. And so we're like, and they were like the millennial age, you know? And uh, it was kind of funny to see that crossover, but then you would still see, like, I'd still see some of those, those older guys like hanging out, like in, in Silver Lake, like still holding, holding forth, you know, <laughs> just still wearing the rocker clothes, looking real haggard and old and everything, but still like, um, oh, I'm, I'm, I could hang, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was funny to see You'd be like, yeah, you know, you're getting a little geriatric looking now, you know? So, yeah. so that was funny, but yeah, it, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a useful game. It's a game for the youth people that are out there now. Yeah, like. and you know what? Let them have it. That's what I say. Go get them, kids. I, you know, I, I'm much. I think I'm much more comfortable not having that pressure of uh, trying to, to you know, fit in or seem cool or whatever. Uh, but then you know, I mean, that went away a long time ago. So, you know, going to San Francisco and uh experiencing youth culture out of the back of my car or the back of my cab that was yeah. a whole thing but you know minimally i mean with uber and lyft it was definitely there there was you saw like how the what i saw was was the the young people had become so much more, more like i mean there was the technology but they were just like so much more into drugs you know it was like they mm. just microdosing was like the thing you know like we can just you know go far as we want like where i think you know at least in my time it wasn't as wasn't as straightforward wasn't it out in in, in front you know it was more uh, illicit so so you but, get so you get to san francisco and this is like 2014 right yeah yeah and that and that's when you start right driving for lyft and uber that was the beginning of that well you know i'm my wife and I have both been working for Disney in LA and uh, we, uh, we were you this... working for like Disney studio or were you working for Disney? Publishing. Land? Okay. Publishing. Mm -hmm. Doing uh, educational stuff. Okay. And uh, that, that gig just ended. They, they uh, ended the program and laid my latest off, laid everybody off. And uh, my wife and I were just like, screw it. Let's move up to San Francisco. Cause that's where you'd wanted to be for a while. And uh, I think I still had a little bit of work. I was IC, so I had a little bit of work left and she was full time. So she was able to get unemployment. So we had like a little bit of buffer to come up here and have a little bit of buffer that we can figure out what to do and what's going on. But I figured because I doing various trips up here. I had uh, seen Lyft for the first time, you know, right. like a, with the mustaches. Cause as I was reading this, I was like, Oh man. Cause I, you know, I used to get your, I, I got your zines like all the time. I've always loved your zines. I've always loved how you, what you, how you've put everything out and you're, and you, and you like have great writing as well. So you, you have, you're the guy you're like that guy. And then when, and then when you were writing for the examiner, I'm like, oh, good. Someone finally good is writing for a paper in San Francisco. You were like one of the very few people that I actually gave a crap about who I would go, oh, wait, I'm going to the examiner online again to see Kelly's it, uh, column. Because that, that was it definitely wasn't boilerplate. I think I find most uh, most journalism these days to be very. Uh, excruciating because it's so boilerplate and it's like you know they never tell you what they're trying to say it's like it's all like you know have you ever thought about this it's like you know you have two paragraphs of just like you know 
you know, filler before they get to the story. And it's just like, oh, you know, so I was always like, yeah, no, straight to the point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I figured that um, I, I was kind of intrigued by the lift thing, honestly, when I came up here, just because it was so weird. It, it was like we were staying with a friend in the mission, uh, like 24th and uh, Cap. And we're going to go to the um, the uh, what is that? That Club Verde over on Mariposa and Petrero. Uh-huh. And they were having a show there and I was like, oh, well, we'll just walk, you know, in San Francisco. It's, you know, six blocks. What's the big deal? Right. She's like, oh, no, no, no. And, and she gets on her phone. And next thing I know, this like car pulls up with the pink fluffy mustache in the front and takes us there. And so the rest of the time we were there, we just hung out with her. We were staying with her and she did. All she did was take Ubers and, and Lyfts. And she just sit there and be like, Oh my God, they're so stupid. They're going the wrong way. And she can't, I mean, it was like, it was like this thing. And I was like, Whoa. And then I got back to LA and I saw them here. I saw them there in LA for a little bit, you know, so they, they were like protesting downtown. So I knew that was a, I knew it was like a, um a disruption of, of a of a system that had been established i was aware of that so i knew that it was it was weird to do it in terms of being pro working class and you know anti you know that kind of world it's a little too polished and shiny for me but i figured like i could do that you know make a few bucks and write about it yeah i would write about it I mean, I've been doing zines, I've been writing, and I've been working in publishing. That's all I've ever done since I got out of college. So I thought that'd be a cool thing to write about. I yeah. just seemed like a funny thing to to at least document, especially when I got involved and I realized how fanatical they were at the time. The drivers were fan- fanatical for Lyft. Like they had joined Lyft, like they were in a cult. And it was just the best fodder you could imagine. Besides... San Francisco being in the midst of this cultural war as is the tech wave resurged out of the recession. So you had that going on. You had all this like antagonism. You had all these young kids that were making money, like, you know, outrageous sums of money. I remember one guy in my car, he stuck his head out the window at one point going up Franklin and he screams, I just made a million fucking dollars. <laughs> and it's like, whoa, you know, it's like, that's, that's a trip, you know, people at that level, you know, and, and they're just having fun. And there is that. And then there was the taxi thing. And that yeah. became very obvious in the beginning too, because the taxi drivers were not happy about it. So there was a lot going on, you know? And so it was really easy, you know, to get material for that first zine that I did. And I did the first zine about driving Lyft and put it at some bookstores around town. And then I picked up this girl one day and she goes, are are you the guy that she saw my name on the app? She goes, are you the guy that did that zine? And I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, I am. She goes, oh, it's so cool. Because people would always say like, you know, oh, you drive, you know, Lyft. Do you? somebody should do a blog about it it was so early like nobody was writing about it yeah it was like it was like you know pickings it was there for the pickings As and writer, it was still weird too i remember like being at like a bar and someone would go oh i'm gonna get a lift and i'm like what you're gonna do what on your phone what yeah Just get a was, cab and then it was like well no it's safer because then the lift will stop and then i can walk straight outside and get into the lift and i was like 
Oh, that kind of makes sense. I was I was like, well, that's it. That's an interesting phenomenon that'll probably go away soon. And it's just, you know, kind of oh. funny. <laughs> oh, I thought it was going to be gone no matter what. And when I wrote the first scene, I think I was about getting about ready to do the design work. And I had this dream that the SFMTA had abolished Lyft. And I was like, oh, my God, all my work for my zine, it's just been wasted, you know? Yeah. I put a lot of effort into it, you know? And, um, yeah, I think I think my wife and I, we went out and took photos and, you know, from the car. We we did, you know, I did a lot to to make it, you know, seem like it was something cool. And and before that, I had been doing typewriter, typewritten zines, you know, mm -hmm. punk rock, you know, photocopied which I thought about doing for this. It just seemed really weird. So I, you know, did used InDesign and Photoshop and all that. And, yeah. uh, you know, sans serif fonts and try to, you know, connect it to the world that it was, you know, you know, coming out of. So, and, and I didn't plan at first just because I, you know, I, I guess I'm, I, I'm not good at, you know, you know, figuring out what's best to do sometimes and trying to be atavistic, you know, for the sake of being atavistic, I wasn't going to do any of this online. It was all just going to be print yeah. because this was the tech thing. I was trying to be contrary, but then I ended up putting stuff on a blog and that's when things took off. So as a writer, I'm sure you understand the how like excited I was to be in this position because there was nobody writing about it in any real way. I mean, there was drivers who were like, you know, had blogs about, you know, what they were doing. But I mean, I was trying to be more critical and bring more into it, you know, more of the city into it, more of the company into it, the I, you know, the the ethics behind it and the taxi stuff. Cause I was very considerate of the taxis. I yeah. I realized really fast that, you know, they were getting they were getting really mistreated by the city. You know, and this was where Ed Lee was still around, you know. And it's and interesting how fast that can happen when money's poured in to like political campaigns and all that, where it's just like you could lose like what used to be at like getting a medallion or whatever for, you know, for a cab can be just like even in New York where it was just like, oh, my God, we lost. Are you kidding me? And now there's Uber. It's I don't. I don't know how it was in San Francisco because I know selling, you had to do. Well, they were selling for two hundred fifty thousand dollars for a medallion when yeah. was, they and that had just started with Prop K. And was uh, that in San Francisco? Yeah, it's Prop okay. K was in San Francisco, and that's where they were going to fund all this stuff in the city to with the SFMTA by charging for medallions because before that they had been free. They were sweat equity, so you earned the medallion. Okay. And and there's only a certain amount of medallions, and you somebody had to die for you to get one, basically. Right, and then so explain what a medallion is for our listeners who don't know. It's it's like a license plate, an added mm -hmm. license plate. It can and it, so you can it's you can't have a cab and drive a cab unless you got one. Yeah, you need the medallion. Yeah, yeah. just like in in New York. In New York, they bolt them to the hood of the cab, but in San Francisco, they put them on the dashboard. And it's just a little, it's a little piece of tin and it has a number on it that's associated with the number on the outside of the cab that's associated with the number in the computer system and the cab company in the city. So it's all very, very, you know, connected. 
of course, at the time, I mean, with Lyft and Uber, I didn't know that. You know, Lyft was, they were claiming that they were safer because they had this connection to the app and everything. But then all sorts of abuse started happening with that. Right, right. There was there was no real, uh, how many felonies do you have? It's just like, oh, you're going to drive for us for slave wages? Here. Yeah, you got a phone and a pulse. And then there would be all these mishaps. <laughs> Are they going to say a penis? <laughs> <laughs> A pulse. <laughs> you got a you got a phone and a penis because I mean you you know that that like yeah. legitimate rape and stuff happened yeah. right. It's... And then that was starting to happen. So I mean it was it was all picking up really fast. It was moving really fast. So I kind of realized that you know I, okay I'd done the zine. I need to be online. I was you know then I got on Twitter and I was on Facebook and I became sort of like the the guy who was driving who ragged on it all the time. So I became that guy and everybody would just call me a troll and, you know, you know, come get, you know, say horrible things to me. At the same time, though, I remember that you were also going over the drivers that were in your car and then where where really giving us a lay of where you were. So, you you know, if you're like on if you're on Goff and Geary, then, you know, it's like we we it. The, the, everything was kind of brought in, if I remember right, to the, er, to, yeah. to the early stuff. Yeah, I had. Well, I always for the whole time that I, yeah. I wrote about driving to San Francisco, I well to, you know, I so I had just moved to San Francisco. My experience with San Francisco had been walking and taking, you know, the bus. Yeah, and that was it. I mean, I lived in New Orleans in, in at one point in the 90s and it spent a lot of time there. It was, you know, one of my favorite cities. So I, but my experience was. In, in a car and a bus. And my perception of the city was really weird. Like I, I did not know like the mission was south of downtown. I thought it was like, you know, west because like uh-huh. you would go up market to to where it was. But so, you know, it was, it, so what I did was I got uh, with AAA and got a map of the city, put it on my wall. And before I even started driving for Lyft, I went out for two weeks and just drove around the city and, and learned it. So I in the first scene, I had all these maps in it that I, I so I started doing hand drawn maps to teach myself the routes, and um, that's the only time I use my typewriter because I t- I type I typed out every street name in the city on several sheets of paper, and then cut them out and glued them onto these handmade maps. So I learned the city. So it was like at that point imprinted in my mind. So whenever I was writing about it, I included those geographical points to constantly keep that in my mind. And also as a, as a, you know, a fascinating point within the story, mm-hmm. you know, I had several fascinating points that I would always use like music, you know, it's like whenever I'd start to write something, I'd say, okay, you know, I got to talk about music. I got to talk about the streets, you know, what street I used, how that worked. And you talk about like weather and you talk about, you know, this or that. Later on with the taxi, there became a cast of characters because I had co-workers now. Yeah. In the Uber and Lyft thing, there wasn't. So, but yeah, so after, after the, the, the Lyft, cause it was a progression. It was, it was moving fast, but I, I kind of felt like I, I, you know, you know, latched on to this whale or whatever. And I was riding it. So after the Lyft thing, I was like, well, I should do the Uber thing, you know? And uh, I was kind of really intimidated by Uber. It just had this whole different vibe. And But I heard you like made more money with it. And, you know, it was just a different experience. So I signed up for Uber and 
that's that's when things got real. That's when everything took a whole different direction because the sign up process with Uber was so bizarre and God, how do you say it? <laughs> it was like there's I went into this room, I wrote about it, and this was this is where things started taking off because I started writing about this stuff. I, I went into a room in Portrayal Hill in this office space where they had like a guard down below. It's a big burly guard. You know, you go up these steps and you're in this room. And all these people were in this room just trying to sign up for Uber. And at the desk, you had all these like these like very, you know, preppy polo wearing people with computers signing up, you know, people who were, you know, immigrants and foreign taxi drivers. And there was me. And I kind of stood out a little bit. <laughs> so I got it. I got there last. So I was kind of like one of the last people to say. So I don't know if it was just that I got to that point and there was less people there. But all the whole time I was watching them being rude and just inconsiderate and not being helpful and just sort of like, oh, like they were just so put out by all these people they had to deal with. And then I got there and they're like, oh, hey, they started taking my photo for me and making sure it was all like pro looking and showing them, you, know, hey, you want some food? I mean, they had food there, but they offered it to everybody. But this was like, you know, oh, you want some of our food? You know, like we have something <laughs> special. And it was just like completely different. Wow. And it was just like, holy crap. Yeah. So, you know, the thing is Lyft, when I started writing about Lyft online, the people who ran Lyft came after me. Right. They, I, that's, I was going to ask you about that. Okay, yeah. go ahead. So, so I wrote the cults of Lyft. I posted it to, you know, a couple blogs and my Facebook. And I think a, a small group on Facebook, somebody took that link and posted it into the main Lyft Facebook group with like, you know, tens of thousands of people. And I did that at night. I like posted it and was like, okay, whatever. Like I've always been doing, you know, get a couple hundred views, whatever. And I went to sleep. I woke up the next morning. I had so many notifications on my phone. I was like, oh my God. And uh, I started reading a few and I was like, these are not good. <laughs> so I gave it to my now, wife. Where are, they, where are they not good from? Are they not good from Lyft or is it the Lyft community? Because the, the Lyft community is like a cult. Okay. Yeah. The Lyft yeah. community were not happy with what. And I this is, and, the, and, and we, and it's just like, to bring it back then because it's, it wouldn't be the same now it was there was there was it was a i remember like other apps like sidecar trying there i remember sidecar, sidecar yeah. there were so many other ones were just like and i always use sidecar because it was the cheapest and i would only use it when i'd go to the doctor or something and it would just be and it would always be i'd get in a janky car that you know, that we'd have to like i'd have to open it from the outside yeah. That was sidecar, yeah. Side and it was great too. though. It was just like, hey, what's up? And like, I think yeah. sidecar was the truest to the idea of ride sharing of them all, though, because yeah. oh, you, okay, you know, it was more of an actual ride share. It was like, you know, like you know, couch surfing. You know, like what you know, Airbnb became like hotels. Well, sidecar never really progressed like Uber and Lyft towards actual right. taxi work. But in the early days, you made a lot of money. Lyft was extremely profitable massively profitable i would go out have fun you know friday saturday night make 800 without you know without breaking a sweat wow and have a lot and have a lot of fun and have a lot of fun yeah because people were really happy to get those rides they're yeah. really happy to be out the clubs on on a uh, polk street and and you know gearing everywhere and, and you know the the 
and Soma and just be able to get a car, pull up to their location. They were really happy, especially when you're partying. It's just like the, this great thing. So everybody was really happy at first, especially with Lyft. But then when I switched to Uber, everybody sat in the back. There's no more of that friendly thing. There's no mm. more fist bumps or whatever. Everybody sat in the back. My my front seat was pushed forward. You know, I was pushed more forward. I was more like kind of up against the wheel a little bit more. And nobody talked. They just get in, tell me where they're going. And uh, at first I was like, oh, this is not fun. And then I saw how much I made. And I was like, all right, I don't need to talk <laughs> to these people. You know, because <laughs> you made more with Uber. It was, it was really good money. I mean, yeah. it was it was no joke. They were they were trying to onload drivers. They were trying to get people to, to do this work. And they were paying them for it. And then that summer, because I had started in February, and I started with uh, Uber around May or so. So around July, they started price cuts, the first price cuts, because I think they wanted to start competing with each other. So, you know, Travis Kalanick was going to take on Lyft and try to put Lyft out of business by lowering their prices. So mm -hmm. Lyft lowered their prices to match. And which means the driver's incomes just plummeted. Right. To almost to have well, over over the period of that summer, they kept making more and more price cuts to where you were giving rides for four or five dollars when before it was a minimum of ten. Yeah, like nothing was below ten. So you know, giving a ride to you know somebody from from Polk Street over into to you know, you know J Japantown or something, it, it was like you know whatever you still got ten dollars for it, but now all of a sudden you're getting four twenty one or something. You know? Right, right. 450 for it and you began to be like whoa and you started thinking about the gas you started thinking about this started thinking about that so there was a this whole new wave of just you know angry drivers quitting and it was just everybody mm -hmm. was walking off and i think that i think that maybe they had unloaded too many drivers as well it was you know there were this there was the you know it was the, things were balancing out i don't think anything was done um they weren't maliciously trying to screw drivers over Mm -hmm. even though the drivers thought that yeah i'm sure they they didn't care about the drivers too much but i think it was just balancing out they unloaded too many and they were they had to correspond with the rides season seasonally you know uh taxi work you know changes throughout the throughout the year so heading into the to the fall winter period it's going to be a slower period so at that point people started going huh maybe you were right about all your criticisms about Uber and <laughs> And I was like, you're yeah. like validated. Yeah, validated. <laughs> Cause you know, I mean, I, I with Lyft, it was a little more positive. The zine, the Uber zine that I ended up doing was pretty negative, but it was also where I started to really write about my position in the whole thing and write about what it was like. And, and, and at the same time, it's not like you just jumping into this as a, as a, oh, this is this is funky. Let me try this. This is your means of income. It's my means of income, sure. But I was is um it was a weird thing because I was also doing it as a writer. It was sort of it was like a okay. double thing, you know. It was like, okay, right. I'm doing this to write about, but I'm also doing it to earn money. So I had to do both. Mm -hmm. But so it was kind of like, it was really like, you know, promising because as a writer, I'm like, wow, I got material. Right. You know, days and days of material. 
that people are reading. I mean, I that's when um, disinfo website. Um, I think they they did books for a while, then they just had the website. But then they wanted they wanted to reprint stuff, and then all these other people wanted to reprint stuff and just republish the things that I was writing already. And then Disinfo wanted me to start writing regularly for them. Um, Broke ass Stewart contacted me. Um, you know, other people started contacting me and wanting me to write for them. At which point, I again, I'm I'm feeling validated. I'm feeling like I'm on the right track. I'm doing this. It's like you know happening. And but I knew that it, it just wasn't sustainable. Not not just to be financially, but it was like if I stayed doing the Uber thing and complaining about it, I would just seem it just seemed like it would get old after a while. You would get sand in your vagina. Huh? Yeah. You get sand in your vagina. Something. Yeah. And, and that's that's what I would sound like. So <laughs> I decided to go to ta- to taxi. Right. And, OK. And, and that was that was a terrifying process. So I had done a zine yeah. about driving for Lyft. It was all a Lyft scene. Then I wrote a, a, a zine called the Uber Lyft, notes from an Uber Lyft, but it was mostly Uber and uh, and about the mechanics of everything. And uh, then I thought, yeah, so I guess I'll do taxi next, you know? And it was a terrifying prospect because I don't know if, you, if you've been down where those taxi yards are in, in, in the Bayview. I would drive past them, you know, because I was trying to figure out how to even do this. How do you become a taxi driver? Where, where are they in the Bayview? I don't, I don't They're know. They're off uh, Bayshore uh, right after the the what's they call that the 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 tail right there the 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 wad right there the interchanges of uh at the end of uh caesar chavez and bayview Bay Shore. okay they're all down they were down on now there's only like two or three left but yeah. they were all down there and it was all they look like junkyards they were yeah, just yeah. burned out bombed out stuff everywhere warehouses just like I mean, just garbage everywhere. When we were on Pirate Cat, when Pirate, because Pirate Cat Radio kept moving locations, and we were down kind of in that area where it's just like. Well, I remember them being at like um, uh, Brian and Twenty uh, Third or something. Or right, something. that was the last location. Yeah, but before that, we were in like jank places where it was just where um, like paint. We were behind paint shops of. Uh, for cars and we so like we walk in and we would leave smelling just like chemicals that were probably destroying our organs during our shows so. it was it was terrifying down there time i mean yeah it's, it's changing everything's changing so rapidly but at this point and we're still talking the end of 2014 so yeah baby was still a little wide open at that time you know it, it hadn't truly gotten that those the 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 clutches of gentrification hadn't really got in there to the have, point they, have they ever really gotten in there because i've been gone for i've been gone for so long that when i left it was still kind of like oh really you're you're you know yeah no you see you see hipster shops down there now really yeah wow i have a friend who had a gallery down there yeah okay she used to she used to have a, a, a used clothing store in it as well vintage clothing and she would be open like five days a week but then she ended up having to close and just do it on special occasions because it became too dangerous. Right. Yeah. And I remember the club, the clubs they would have down there where it was just like unpermitted clubs, but it's just, but you could do it. And it's because the cops are, are not going to come down that way. Cause it's just like, Oh, you're just doing that. Okay. Who cares? The after hours are always in the baby down in there. 
So anyway, I was like, you know, nervous about the taxi. I didn't know how to go about doing it. I didn't, you know, I read the information on the SFMTA website. It seemed awfully confusing. I had to do fingerprinting. I had to get all this stuff. I had to make a commitment to a cab company. I had to go to school for a week and then I had to do a. So what, so what, so is there anything where you're going, I'm not, is there anything where you're just like, this is too many obstacles. I'm doing something else or what kept you moving forward in you're going, no, no, I'm driving a cab. Page views. <laughs> really? Really? Okay. So, so, th so this is, this is, look, I'm going to get some, uh, I'm going to get some great writing out of this. Yeah. We're doing it. Okay, cool. That was my main motivation. Yeah. That's cool. It's good motivation to have. I was getting enough attention and I knew that, like I said, I, the, the, being the Uber guy was not something I wanted to be. Yeah. Um, and so are you writing for the examiner no yet not, not yet. yet okay so so then it um so that so that that's yeah that's where we're at now in the story because this was about um i think i i had started the process because it's a very long process i had to go get fingerprint i had to get go to the dmv i had to do all this stuff and sign up for cab school i i saw a cab driver at a gas station and i asked her i said what what do i do and she's like First, she was just like hesitant to talk to me because I was like the evil, you know, Uber Lyft driver. And I said, I want to become one of you now. And she's all like, well, that's good. You want to become because we're better. You know, you want to come to this side. You know, you're better off. And all this stuff, you know, it was like it's, it's Protestants up. and Catholics. Yeah. They're like, no, we're the we're the righteous one. We will get you to heaven. Then. Um, yeah, I know. And so every step of the way, it was also like that. So when I called the cab school, I got this this uh, this older woman. She uh, she passed away last year, but she uh, was a 40 year veteran cab driver, one of the first female cab drivers in San Francisco. And her uh, she had to be was, tough because, I mean, it, driving, especially, you know, if she was and, driving in the 70s and 80s, those were tough years. And, and yeah. she uh, she taught this the school for yeah. cab so in in her school was in the Redstone Building, which was the center of all the, uh, you know, the uprising, the the worker rights uh, movements in the twenties and the thirties were all centered out of the Redstone Building. And where's so, that at? Huh? It's sixteenth uh, and uh, Cap between oh, okay. uh, South uh, South Venice and uh, and Mission. It's not. It's not the uh, what do you call that? It's it's not the one that became the BDSM place. The Armory. No, no, not it's the Armory is at a fourteenth um, and. Uh, oh, okay, okay. Fourteenth and uh, Valencia. Okay. So, um, so they anyway. It was it was like I'd read about the building when I went into the building. It was obvious I was in a worker, dom, you know, focused you know worker rights there was all this all these murals out on the walls i looked at all the businesses that were in there on the on the list of things like the elevator was broken and i'm standing there waiting for the elevator broken and you know i'm like reading the, the list of all the places that were in there and there were all there was like a theaters that were in there but there were also all these obviously alternative and i was like wow this is a great place this is where i want to be yeah so you know, I, it was, it was, it was too, you don't, so it was a combination of the two, you know, is where I, I was, I was very motivated to continue this story and to take it to a different level. But then I was also being very encouraged in the taxi system. I, I, it was again, it's it a was, club. It's almost like you're joining a biker gang. It, it's it's yeah, almost like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're just like, oh my God, I'm going to get something great from this. And then you start to realize, oh, wait a second, I might have to get a tattoo and kill someone. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, after a while, you start feeling like, okay, this is getting deep. Uh, it feel that way, yeah, at times. So then that that New Year's Eve, I wrote. Um, well, th- that New Year's Eve was really weird. So I had actually got kicked off at Uber by that point and hanging on a lift by my fingernails. Now, when you're kicked off, are, is it because of the writing or is it just because of the supply? With Uber, the they never cared about the writing. I never heard one word from Uber. Oh, okay. I heard a lot of stuff from Lyft where yeah, okay. they, would, they would, you know, complain about some of the stuff I was writing and saying I was being unfair. And like they kicked me out of that group right after that happened. Yeah. They, you know, but I, I think they knew that if they, you know, deactivated me that it would probably be worse for them than if they didn't so <laughs> yeah so anyway so i was driving for lyft at that point and i was like picking up picking up people from lyft headquarters and telling them i was about to go drive taxi i was just didn't care you know uh-huh. i'm so out of this place you know i did feel like i was leaving a job i just they don't want to be a part of it anymore i just i just didn't want to be associated with these companies anymore yeah I was done i was over it and so that New Year's Eve, I was going to go drive, of course, because it was going to be profitable. But that was the weekend that 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 uh, Flywheel, which had been Cabulous, which was the cab, you know, app for right. getting cabs. So on New Year's Eve, Uber and Lyft had both, you know, put out these blog posts with projections of what to expect to make for the drivers and what to expect to pay for the passengers. And it was high. They were saying, you know, because you remember the 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 the, the dynamic pricing, you know, the surge right. price. Yeah, yeah. Prime time. They were saying this was going to get three, four times, seven times normal right. rate. Right. It was going to be just outrageous, expensive. So Flywheel decided to run this promotion of fifteen dollar rides through their app with the cabs, flat anywhere in the city. And I think it was 15, 10 or 15, maybe 15 sounds more right. So I knew that was going to happen because I saw that. And so I went out to drive and the app never surged. I couldn't get rides. And everywhere I looked. This is when you're in the cab. They used to be empty. Had all these young kids hanging out the window now. I was like, wait, those are my passengers. Oh, yeah. Okay. They all took that deal. Yeah, they all took that deal, and the cabs just were filled all night. Nobody was using Uber and Lyft. Around midnight, it hadn't surged yet. It was still. I was like, had made like you know fifty bucks. I was like, screw it, I'm done. And I just like think my wife came over on Bart, and I picked her up, and we went to look at the fireworks and stuff. And I heard later it surged a little bit, but I wrote a piece after that called "Night of the Living Taxi," and. uh that that's the one that took off that's the one that still when i if i look at my blog stats it's still just like this massive spike and i was interviewed by a lot of people you know a couple radio stations a couple you know newspapers and joe fitzgerald from the examiner called me to do an interview and i was telling him a little bit about what i was doing and everything and he was like dude that sounds really interested that sounds really interesting like may you know and then he emailed me a couple of times and then he CC'd the, the editor in chief of the examiner and says, I think this guy would be a great to do a column for yeah. the examiner and revive the night cabbie. Yeah. Do you remember the night cabbie? Oh yeah. You, you, that's uh, the night cabbie used to be when the examiner was actually uh, not, not the, uh, the, cause they switched the format. Like the examiner used to be the afternoon magazine. Yeah. Right. Right. 
and uh then he then he switched to uh um chronicle so he started at the examiner and switched to the chronicle and also at the examiner this is right after the bay area guardian mm -hmm. fell apart yeah joe fitzgerald had come from there and michael howerton had come from the Bay Area Garden. And they all, because as that newspaper fell apart, they switched over to the Examiner. So they they basically took over the Examiner. So you had this whole new crew of people in there wanting to do edgy stuff and right. write things. And so... I mean, this is like Hunter S. Thompson used to have a column in the Examiner. That's like, that's the legacy of the Mark, Examiner. Oh, yeah. Mark Twain had one in the call. No, yeah. No, this is this was this was big. I mean, you yeah. decide, there's, there's also... A, What's his name? The guy with the patch, you know, and the dog. Um, hard to think of a, a lot of specifics right now, but there was a another, you know, famous San Francisco uh, writer who did the. But anyway, so yeah, no, I, I felt like I was stepping into very deep waters. I, this was now like something. So now everything was online. I had to do it, right? Yeah, it, but. It was like the idea that they had was they wanted to do the night cabbie, which had been this beloved column in San Francisco by this night cabbie who had who was anonymous. And they wanted to do it as with the Uber driver. And I had already started driving cab by that point. So the first of the year I started driving cab. So I was kind of like, OK, they want to do the night cabbie, but with the Uber version. So I wrote a pitch and sent it to the editor-in-chief and just basically saying, I want to write this about is from an Uber driver coming to taxi because if he stayed an Uber driver, it's like you're describing a system that is so non-beneficial. It's so, it's so detrimental to your, you know, to your it's just detrimental it's not for your benefit yeah to continue to to be in that system and write about it without just constantly complaining about it would be impossible so i would rather write about it from the perspective of being in a taxi as a former uber and lyft driver in a taxi experience in the city this whole new windshield essentially yeah, and documenting what I had been documenting, which was the changes in the city, the people, the yeah. geography, the environment, and all this, as well as myself. <laughs> yeah, you know? and uh, so he he said me he meet me down at a, a coffee shop at you know uh, was it a fifth admission there the the gold something over there it's the I, it's the same coffee shop where i've met like so many of my different editors at the chronicle well, when, yeah, they, when they would like right burn there. through them they're just like well let's meet over let's meet let's the meet over bottle. there yeah, yeah the I, I, we can't we can't bring you into the building because you're yeah. just like you're freelance yeah. but we'll yeah. meet you at like a neutral location i thought i was going into the offices i was hot <laughs> <laughs> But you know, they met me at the coffee shop there at uh uh I forget the alley, it's right at fifth and uh yeah, yeah. There's I know I, I see right I know exactly. Yeah, the nightclub uh the, is it the Trocadero? Oh. Not the Trocadero. It's behind I don't even remember the name of it now, but it's yeah, behind I've seen a few bands there, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Tons of bands play there, they always have shows. Yeah. I'm always there, you know. And um so so yeah, he met me. He met me, and he offered me the column. Um, I was, I thought I was very naive, and asked for a high word count. He says, "No, nah, we're going to give you seven hundred words, you know, weekly." Yeah, 
And that's and a high we, word count, actually. Come up with we, we'll pay you the same that we pay broke ass Stewart because broke ass Stewart was writing for the examiner. Right. So what was the what was the pay? 150 a column. That's not bad. No, it seemed fair to me. Yeah, and, yeah. And, you know, because I've been writing for Broke Ass Stewart's website at that time. And then I got the examiner and Broke Ass Stewart was writing for the examiner too. So there's a crossover there for a while. I was writing for both for a while. And I had this book deal at the time as well. And that, so it was like, it was a lot of going on for me right there at that time. And I'm uh, king of the world. Yeah, I did. I did <laughs> feel very, very pleased with myself. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so I started driving the taxi um, immediately, just immediately within a, within a couple of weeks, I had like a year of, of stories. I, I knew I was never going to run out of stories because this was a completely different experience. Right. Um, so first, when you're, when you're driving a cab and you're getting hailed, which is a completely different experience oh then. God. So was, was there points where you're just like, wait, was it like, was the, was there just um, trepidation at first, where you're just like, wait, that guy is just raising his hand. I don't know who he is. I have no reference to what this person is or where he's going. Well, that was that would that would think about that afterwards. But at the moment, yeah. I would just be like, you know, oh, it's happening. You know, right? Um, I was just trying to do it. You know, I mean, at first, I was even trying to stay away from people. Like my first day, I was driving away from people because I was so scared. <laughs> oh. And uh, that's cute. I've, I tried I'll, to go back to the places where I used to go back to. And it was just like, it was like Lyft hangout, Uber hangouts. And I was like, oh, they don't want me over here. So yeah, I had to find where the taxi drivers go. And I just started, you know, fortunately, fortunately though, I went to a cab company that people on Twitter and Facebook had contacted me. When I basically said, I'm going to drive a taxi, all these taxi drivers in San Francisco contacted me. And they're like, you know, blah, blah, blah. That's how you do it. They broke it down for me and made it, made it all make sense to go to cab school and where to go. And I was trying to go to green cab because green cab was like the hippie cab. Right. Company. And I was like, Oh, and I'm right there. And then I was signing up for him. And then they read some stuff I'd written online and they're like, yeah, no, you can't work for us because you're, you're talking about, you know, taking out of it and getting all juiced up in the cab the car with people in the car. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, ah, oh. so then I told this guy and he goes, Oh, he goes, fuck that. They take us go over to national, dude. They'll hire you. They'll hire anybody. Yeah, yeah. So then I went over to national, and that was the junkyard. <laughs> <laughs> so I walk into the junkyard, and I was like, "Okay, here I am." And yeah. I gave me a junky old cab, and I went out in it. And first time I'd ever driven a Prius, and it was just like beeping like crazy the whole time. I could have I had to figure out how to drive a Prius. That was my first task. But yeah, it, it was like the the experience was just night and day with just the people getting into the cab, like. My second week, I mean, I, you know, at this point now I'm writing and I, I've been driving for a while when I started writing. So, but I started writing about things that had happened in the beginning. I was, uh, the, and the woman who taught the, the school, the cab school I went to was four days. And then I had to do a, a day seminar at, at the SFMT offices there. And, um, the woman was, uh, who taught the class was disabled. She'd been driving cab for a long time. And she was disabled. So she focused on the ADA requirements, like a whole day on them. She just bashed those into our brain. Like you need to help the disenfranchised disabled people of this city. It is your job. It is your requirement. You are required by law to do it and you better do it. So I was hyped on that. I was just like, okay, you know, and I, and like the second week, a woman got into my cab who couldn't speak. She'd obviously had a bad stroke. She couldn't speak. 
Uh, she was clean. She got into the front seat and she couldn't speak properly. She just made mumbling sounds and started pointing. But we're on market, inbound on market, and she starts prancing to the left. Well, I can't go left off of market. Right. And so I'm like, well, I have to go this way. And she goes, no, that way. So, I mean, I got her home. Yeah. But my God, that <laughs> was an experience to, to be in that level of having to help somebody yeah, try to figure this out together to figure out this thing. And I mean, it was, it was also very moving. Uh -huh. um, my mom had died of uh, Alzheimer's. So it was like, it was very, just a moving experience. So then that became the gravitas. Oh yeah. With the taxi. Now I had gravitas. It was no longer bitching about a company who was mistreating its workers. It was no longer about, you know, pretending to be a taxi and any of this. This was about gravitas. This was about the city. This was the heart of the city. Yeah. And then I started meeting taxi drivers. At National, every Saturday, Sunday morning, after the Saturday shift, they had a barbecue at the at the cab yard. So it's it's like a hobo cookout. Uh-huh. You know? in a junkyard <laughs> so, and this is after a shift so you do a long shift after, and then... yeah in between shifts so you have, yeah you know cab drivers coming in cab drivers going out yeah and in the middle of that everybody's getting loaded and yeah. and and cooking food on a on a you know it was a grill but it, it, you know it's better with the imagery of like a garbage can burning up you know like right you, exactly repo it, man you know <laughs> throwing throwing paper and to keep it going and roasting weenies <laughs> over it you know um yeah um <laughs> So I was embraced. They were like, dude, you came to us, you know, yeah. you, you're now you're helping us. Yeah. And that was a big thing. They're like, you're helping us. So you're they all, they all knew you were the writer and the examiner yeah. as well. Yeah. That was the other thing. I was coming into it with a certain level of confidence because I knew that I, I wasn't just uh, a kid needing a job. You yeah. Know? And but you I mean, still needed a job. I still need a job. Yeah, I had to it's, work. It's, I mean, yeah, I'm it's not like you know, right. it's like not yeah. gonna get paid. It's not like it's not like Hunter Thompson where you got paid by you know Rolling Stone and you just stay at the hotel out by the beach and do whatever you wanted to do and keep forcing Jan Wenner to give him money. Right. No, I didn't have that situation at all. So I, I did have to work. Yeah, but my wife worked too. So you know, we were living together. So you know, it, it became a you know, yeah. Everybody accepted me. I had a lot of cab drivers to take me aside and explain things. And so, I mean, I, and, and really, so I, I got just all, like the cliff notes of everything, like every time they saw me. So it's getting more and more information about how this system worked, what it was about, what it meant, the medallion stuff. Like, I mean, talking to, a, 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 a you know, 10 medallion owners about the system, like yeah. that's how I learned about it from them not from an abstract, you know, article that, and I was like, how do I write about this? How do I explain this? How do I do it? And I knew I just couldn't do it at once. I knew I couldn't make it pedantic. Mm -hmm. It had to just come out naturally. And yeah. I figured, you know, with the editor in chief being like carte blanche, just do what he, you know, he would, he would, he's like, don't, don't bag on Uber and Lyft too much. Yeah. Don't make it your point to bag on them. Yeah, you know, I understand you don't like them, but we don't want it to be hate pieces. We don't want it to be hit pieces. Make right. it, you know, and so, it's more it's more interesting to have yeah. nuance anyway. So yeah, it's more interesting to just make it about. It. He goes, we love the taxi thing. The taxi thing's great. The people thing's great. We love what you're doing. Focus on that. You know, the Uber right. thing. You know, not so much. So 
it became more about the taxi experience and that's yeah. when people started reading people started you know the first time i got noticed was a was a guy sitting on the street in front of a you know fairlito on on a 24th and he's like oh you're the guy from the paper and it's because i mean your your photo was with your article with your column every week yeah and uh, so even it would, I, yeah even though i like to think that i'm an enigma and i'm like a chameleon and i just blend into my environments yeah i look just like my picture right and, and you uh, look like your picture and you're walking into a cab and everyone's reading your stuff so it's yeah just like, so but, um where the i just i want to speed up a little bit because so let's get to um what happens when COVID hits Wow, so much happened between. That. I know exactly. We can go like four hours, but we're co we're coming to the end here of the uh, our hour. Oh, an hour. Well, jeez, yeah. <laughs> he stumped him. Yeah, God, I don't even know how. To... I know you know the, the first part is the interesting part. That's the interesting part. Okay, but then it got real. Yeah, how, how did it get real? Well, my wife left me. Mm -hmm. uh, for a while and then she came back and she got pregnant so now i was having a kid pregnant by you yeah yeah okay um, good <laughs> oh yeah that, that child's mine no doubt about that yeah yeah so so you know i had a, had a child you know yeah. i wrote a column about having a kid being a cab driver writer and having a kid you know um you know it it just that's what it became you know it, yeah. it became about us family guys struggling in the city to do this you know, intensive work. And, and how is your wife now? Are you writing about this? How's your wife feeling about you writing about this stuff? About our marriage? I mean, were you, were, yeah. Were you getting that personal on? And no. no. Oh, okay. I did, okay. I did while we were separated. I called okay. her a bitch newspaper while we were separated. She yeah. was really upset about that. <laughs> oh my God. So when you're coming back together, you're like, Oh man, well, she knew more things to apologize for. <laughs> So, you know, I got like a whole bunch of phone calls after that one came out, but yeah. I didn't call her a bitch in the article. I had the passenger call her back. I just described her to the passenger and then the yeah, passenger yeah. called her that. <laughs> and uh, so I was like, oh, it was there. I mean, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad it worked. I'm glad it worked out and you got back together because that's, um, you know, and marriage isn't easy. Marriage is hard. And, and if it works, you know, you get through the bumps and that's just the beautiful thing. So. Well, the taxi thing was uh, also became a major point of contention so oh the, really oh hugely well 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 because um <laughs> after a while all these cool cab drivers that i was driving with they dropped off they left the industry uh -huh. because things got bad things yeah. got really bad the only way i was able to make money was driving drug dealers yeah and so i was around drugs all the time uh-huh so things got really dark for a while. That, and that's when you started, did you start partaking then or have you, were you already? Uh... Um, yeah, no, that's when it started partaking. Yeah. I, I was sober for I, most of my adult life. So uh -huh. it was just like. <sighs> were you sober just because you didn't, you just didn't take drugs or were you sober? Like on a, um, I made a decision to be sober. No, it's just, I just didn't really care for it. You know, right exactly i, I spoke okay. weed, you know but I, I mean i was a writer i liked my mind to be clear yeah and as i you know very focused ambitious person i began to feel like the the cab was dragging me down and i wanted out i wanted to stop doing what i was doing it, so it was getting it was getting dark because you were getting I was more alone. 
I was alone yeah. out in the city. There's no lot. It used to be you, you'd pull up to to um what's that one on public works? In, in public works, you'd have a line of 10 cabs. One mm -hmm. dude sitting on his cab blasting house music. Everybody's outside of their cab yelling, screaming at people, and just having a great old time. It was like a party with all these cab drivers out in the city, out in the street. We'd be racing around, chasing each other, going in places and doing. I mean, it was so much fun out there. Yeah, and then people started leaving the industry because they weren't making any money. Yeah, I wasn't making any money, so I started driving cab drug dealers, mm -hmm. and they were they were paying me, you know. Yeah. And it was just like I just remember I just night driving, no, not seeing anybody I knew in other cabs, or just other cabs were just there. They're like, you know, and I just felt very invisible, lost. But I was still writing about it, and I was still staying positive about it. But then I started writing about the drug dealers, and everybody's like, "Yeah, that's great, love the drug dealers." And I was like, "Okay." You know, and I guess I got to drive back drug dealers because I really like the drug dealers. So I kept writing about it. I was trying to stay positive, but it was really, really, really hard. And and it became this like, you know, paradox of like, uh, I, I didn't want to be a cab driver anymore, but I was celebrated for being a cab driver because everywhere I went, people recognized me. Yeah. Everywhere I went, people talked to me. That's addictive. That's that's it feels good. Yeah. It's and and as writers, we want to be validated for what we've written. It's like it's like I, you know, when something would come out in the Chronicle, you know, I used to write six articles a month for the Chronicle. No one knew who the hell I was. And when they would be reading their newspapers, I would see them reading my thing and I'd be like, <laughs> you know, looking over going, Oh, that's see. And they're like, Oh, they don't care. They don't care. You know, I was I think because of what I was doing, it was a column. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't, you know, journalism. Nobody would consider me a journalist. I yeah. felt I felt like a journalist. I, I, I the, my vision of myself and the vision of what I was and what I become and what other people thought of me. It, it was it was hard to take sometimes. It was, you know, and then everybody see me. I love what you do and never stop. You're you're fighting for the working class people of the city. You know, you're representing us. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's big in San Francisco. That's like really huge. Huge. huge, huge. I mean, that because I come from generations of San Franciscans who were all union guys and truck drivers and alcoholics. And so I can go into a bar and some of those bars, they hear the name Duchesne and they're like, wait, is your, you know, are you related to, and I'm like, yeah, that's grandpa. <laughs> I didn't drink in bars, but you know, it, it, it's like I, when I did, I would have drinks bought for me. Yeah. Uh, people yeah. would recognize me yeah, all the time, everywhere I went, I'd be in restaurants, people stop, you know, at the table. and that's where it gets crazy too. Cause like, that's when I realized moving. And that's when I realized moving to LA was a very healthy thing. Cause when I'm DJing, I'm sitting there and I got a beer and then someone comes up with a fernet and I'm like, thank you. And I got that, you know, it's just like, at the end of the night, I could have 10, 15 drinks and then I could still wake up the next morning and it was starting, you know, you're just like, all of a sudden you're like, wait a second. So like, what's the definition of a heavy drinker? And you're going, well, and I'm going, I think I drink 50 more drinks a week than heavy drinkers. <laughs> I was like, what's the definition of a functional drug addict? Because, yeah, being in the bars, too, I would in and out of bars because bartenders would call me for things, you know? Yeah. So I was like, you know, they'd offer me drinks. I would never take the drink. I never drank and and I never drank while driving. Yeah. But I did other things while driving. And, you know, it, it was just because it was there. It was being offered to me. It was just there, there, there. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like all around you. Passengers would do it. They'd be there. You know, people would pass in the Castro and they want to go to the clinch on Polk Street. 
And he's like, well, can you wait for me for like a few minutes? I was like, yeah, no problem. And then they come out and they're all, they're like, they don't want to wait. It's like 10 minute drive back to the Castro. And they're like, uh, you mind if I do a key bump? Yeah. <laughs> I got only a few share. Yeah. <laughs> so it became like that. Yeah. But so things got dark. So isn't it interesting though? Cause like when you think about like celebrities, like people who are actual celebrities, like, you know, even like back in the day with like uh, John Belushi and stuff or, and even uh, what's his name? Chris Farley. When people like you just he walks in and there's just a mountain of cocaine for him and he's like, Thank you. <laughs> you well, know, and it's those are two interesting points that you make to the for that though. That's a really good point though, because Chris Farley and John Belushi were both trapped in roles that had been created for them. Right. And they didn't want to be in those roles. Chris Farley, especially. He had the role of being the comedian, the jokester, the silly guy who did everything. And within that was a very tortured individual. Yeah, there's a deep, like there's had, usually a deep sadness. And I had been created this persona of being this working class family man driving a taxi, trying to make it in the city, representing that demographic. Yeah. And that was hard because that was no longer who I was. Yeah. I wasn't that who that was in the beginning. I was a, you know, a writer who was trying to do something. And yeah, I've, I've, you know, worked in restaurants. I've worked, you know, that those types of jobs. So driving a cab wasn't that much of a stretch for me, but right. I felt very trapped. I felt extremely yeah. trapped. So yeah. when the pandemic happened, I, I wasn't sure if I was going to continue driving a cab, regardless of whether things were shut down. On March 1st, I turned my cab in and I was just so strung out and so just beat up. I just, I didn't know what was going to happen. But I, you know, dragged myself home and, you know, my wife's like, you got any money? And I was like, nope. She goes, you can't, this is, this has got to stop. Yeah. Later, the whole world shut down. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, isn't it? So, so the world shuts down. And then what, what was, I mean, COVID for me was, I, I, I felt like I was losing my mind. Um, but I, but I live alone and I was in a long distance relationship at the same time that we were going to fly back and forth across the country for each other. Mm -hmm. And then I was about to break up with her right before COVID hit. And then I did break up with her and then she's like, well, let's just give it one more chance. And I'm like, okay. And I said, okay. And then it was just like, the world was shut down. And then I'm, and then we were like, I was still in this as we were going to give it one more chance, but we were just waiting for the, we were waiting for the curve, you know? Yeah. There was so much like, okay, well maybe in May I'll see you and you know, we can work these things out and then maybe, you know, maybe we didn't think it would last that long. Yeah. It, I, I was watching a video, um, like a comedy skit video that was uh, made in April, 2020. And it was kind of funny to think back and to be nostalgic for that period of time where we, yeah. were but we felt yeah. like, well, when it's over with, it's going to be over with and done. And we're just going to yeah. go back to the way things were. Yeah. We didn't realize that our whole lives were never going to be the same. Yeah, Everything was changing. Yeah. So, yeah, it was an easy transition to move away from it. You know, I mean, they, yeah. I still wrote for the column for another year and a half, I think. Um, and that's from the material that you had? Or is that there is? Or I, wrote was about, that... I wrote about COVID. Okay. I just wrote about COVID. And the, an editor had left. And so we had an interim editor, which kind of gave me uh, the ability to sort of write whatever I wanted to write. And I was, I was kind of pitching the idea of like writing about some different, not taxi, but to keep mm -hmm. the column because I had a readership 
And I mean, they told me that I had readers. They told me, yeah, your, your numbers are good. Yeah. Kept me on, you know, and they said my numbers were good. So I thought I was, you know, okay. And I could transition to something else and they would be cool with it. But then they, the, they, somebody else bought the O'Reilly, Clint O'Reilly bought the paper uh-huh. and they brought in this, this woman from Silicon Valley to run it. Huh. And I was like, okay. And I got a phone call one day. She says, yeah, it's like, I, I from my editor and she goes, you know, I'm calling you because you're about to get an email that's extremely impersonal. And I just want to call the writers that I've dealt with and just add a human touch because they're just, they're just firing everybody. Everybody's going. Wow. And you know, I love it. I love it. Like the, a lot of the editors I had at the Chronicle, cause I would, you know, I went through a bunch of different ones. But they, you know, the good editors stood up for you no matter what. And it was just like, I would have my interviews on tape and stuff. And, and you know, was, I would always hold my tapes and they would never ask for them. But there would be like, you know, it would be like, oh, you know, this person's complaining, whatever. They would have, they would, they just knew they were like, I had the reputation. They had my back. And they're like, nope, wrong. Keep walking. You know, even to their like managing editor, they're like, no, Tony, Tony played it, always plays it right. You know, and it's just like. Those that those relationships you have with your editors just kind of like enduring, yeah. you know. When, when I have this one guy, I did a column titled uh, "Crackheads Are People Too," which uh-huh. I didn't think was that controversial. Yeah, I mean, they are people too. Right. But he, apparently, he told me later he had to go to bat for me pretty hard to get that through. Mm-hmm. I was like, really? That? I go, what about like the grandma crackhead I wrote about? You know, yeah. like a grandma to the crack store. That was yeah. okay. You know? Yeah. So did you ever, did you do crack too? No. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. They'd say like, even like I've seen these articles all about fentanyl and stuff and when, and even on my blocks, it's like, I I see these like where I'm at in East Hollywood, you know, like right by fountain in Edgemont. And it's just like, all of a sudden there's like kind of this hipster couple that you can tell just they're, they just nosedived, but they still have their cool clothes and they're living on the street. I'm yeah, just going. Long, I yeah. saw fentanyl come through. I actually, I, because I was driving drug dealers, because I was, you know, involved in that scene, and because I had a really f- good friend who was involved in that scene. I remember when he first told me, he goes, "Dude, they got this new thing out there. They're selling it cheap. It's like totally different, dude." And I got some, and ooh, it's like so much better than heroin. So much better. And uh, yeah, I mean, I lost two friends to it. You know, yeah. Two friends. Um, yeah. So, yeah, if I saw fentanyl rise, I saw the rise of fentanyl in San Francisco because they first they had to sell it cheap because nobody wanted it. They wanted tar. They didn't want this crazy white powder. And, uh, and now it, they mix it with pot, from what I understand. Well, they they don't even have tar heroin anymore. You can't get tar heroin in the ten, tenderloin. You can only get fentanyl. So it's only yeah. fentanyl, which means there there's more highly, you know, the, the likelihood of overdoses is increased like four times just because of the, the strength of it. Yeah. They said there was more deaths because of fentanyl than COVID in the Tenderloin or in San Francisco or one of those stats. Yeah. When when that money got cut, you know, when the, everybody started getting money from the COVID, yeah. that's yeah. Everybody's getting cash and it's going buying loads of fentanyl and dying. Yeah. Like doo, 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 doo. <laughs> I, yeah. Mean, I, was, I was still going down there. So and I had a, a couple guys that I talked to like pretty regularly in the Tenderloin through the whole time. It was weird going in the TL during COVID lockdown. That was weird. That was an eerie because you had nothing on the streets except homeless people. Yeah. There was like no other semblance 
of a city, like, you know, you see a couple cops and just homeless people in, you know, fiending for drugs everywhere when it was like difficult to get. Yeah. It. And I can't even fathom because, you know, I lit my last apartment was on Gary and Polk and there was just, you know, I I'm really happy that I got to spend my last few years in San Francisco living like at the Tenderloin area and kind of just, um, it, it was just such a, it was, I didn't even realize that if the experience would be so different than the mission district, because the mission district were like kind of gang problems. And there'd be like, we would hear the shootouts and we'd be like, Oh, what, what do you think that was? You know, we would try to guess the guns and when we're in our houses and then you get to the tenderloin and it was so chaotic yet there was, I almost felt like there was more of a, uh, people looking out for each other, um, vibe, as if you were, if you started getting known in the neighborhood, it just, and if something's going on, people would be like, Hey, are you all right? And you just be like, yeah. And it's just cause your face was known in the neighborhood. And if anything was on the, you know, you just kind of yeah. knew who, who belonged and who didn't, who didn't belong and who lived there. And there's a bad elements. There are bad elements to come in, but a lot of times those bad elements will come on and come in there from Bart. The people, right. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of sweetness. I saw a lot of sweetness among people. Yeah, uh, just, you know, consideration, respect, um, you know, I mean, not always things would get hairy every once in a while, but just generally like on, you know, being straightforward and whatever. And it was a really strange thing to see on that level. You know, it's yeah. like they're heroin addicts and they're they're being nice to each other, you know. Yeah. And I think that would transfer yeah, to the people that live there. And you lived I think you experienced the last of like what, what you could call like free San Francisco, you know, yeah. which maybe it's it's a touch of it now with the tech companies firing people and the city changing and everything now after COVID. But yeah, right after you left is when things just became hyper, you know, tech oriented you know yeah and i was noticing that i you know there was i wanted to leave uh like three or four years earlier especially when uh my like friends in the creative community were good that's when they started doing google buses in the mission district and other areas and they would go stop google buses and start trying to tip them and i'm like i'm just like i'm not down with that will you guys work on your creative stuff because these people don't know what they're doing you know, it's the corporations that are putting these things in place. It's not these workers who are coming in and go, yeah, this, wait, I'm going to get paid this much money to move to this city and then I'll be bused to here. And it's just like, you know, of course, someone who's not a San Franciscan and goes and sees, you know, uh, what's that TV show with um... Full House? Yeah, and sees Full House. And they're like, oh, my God, I'm going to go live in Full House. <laughs> you know, it's just mm -hmm. like. I'm going to go live in a Victorian in San Francisco. <laughs> I'm going to have money. I'm going to have this great job in the Valley. Right. I'll just go out and party and it'll be great. And yeah, exactly. That's the life they lived. That was the life they lived. And uh, yeah. And it, and it was hard life because they didn't have, uh, it was, it was hard for people who have been in San Francisco so long because they come in going, it was almost like this is Disneyland to them. And it's just like, no, you're you're actually in our city, kind of. I had a friend in the Lower Haight on a, on Oak Street, or no, on Fell, 800 block of Fell, and this, uh, I mean, it was like hostel, but like a what do you call that? That starts with an H. That 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 where they they bring tech people in and they all work together and they try to create ideas and the people who own the building get a share of whatever they create out of it. Wow. There. I've never heard of that. It's like, a, it's like a commune, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's like one of those moved across from them. And it was just like, 
this daily change of the neighborhood like is it just a, just spilled out because there's no way they're going to contain inside that building their cars their traffic all of a sudden there's no. lifts double parking on fell right there on that hill which is just like crazy and and you just saw the impact the impact from everything i mean that's not even talking about the impact of uber and lyft which was something i documented you know you know, repeatedly, you know, just the impact of tech on the city was so dramatic, like it was in the dot coms. That's what I remember. I remember yeah. that. and just and leaving and leaving because I was like, no, I was yeah. like, this is not what I'm. Oh, I you mean, were an SF for the dot com era? Yeah, I lived. I lived in San Francisco in the um, mid nineties, and oh, okay. uh, then came. You know, from I was down in LA, and I just keep coming up, and I'd spend time here, and and spend yeah. a lot of because I, I was publishing and san francisco was a mecca for publishing it was yeah. great in those years mecca for publishing yeah i would make so much money i would pay for my my trips up and everything i'd stay yeah. at like you know, the green tortoise i'd stay with friends you know it was a it was just a breeding ground for that yeah. so and then when you started noticing like there are gap stores on every corner and then the mannequins in the gap store look like the people on the street yeah. yeah, and like that's when I was like, "What's up with that?" Yeah. You know, yeah. I always thought San Francisco was this place, you know, everybody was like their own freak, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and it was all cool. Everybody was just like cool. Then it, it just, yeah, it changed, and I, I wasn't so into it. So, what yeah. now? What are you working on now? Are you working on something that um is going to pull all of this together? Yeah, yeah, it's going to be, you know. It's it's hard with memoirs because you know well I mean again selling a memoir is difficult, um, you know I I think I have a pretty good pitch you know it's it's a crazy story you know guy wanders into San Francisco ends up in the midst of a cultural war and you know tech stuff and yeah and the, the cars the taxi and ends up on drugs and somehow survives and writes a column and becomes like a minor local celebrity and you know. Well, I'm when, like, yeah. when when did you realize that you were too deep into the drugs and you're like, I got to stop? Was there like a day when you're like, I just have to go to N.A.? Um, no, I, I, I well, yeah, I mean, I, I ended up in the hospital. Um, so they were like, and I I'd wanted to stop and I ended up. Fortunately, because of COVID, COVID was actually like, you know, it worked out well for me in a lot of ways, you know, mm -hmm. uh, because of COVID rehabs then became sort of uh, home based through the computer. So I just yeah. did. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't have to like, you know, go away for 20, even though going away for 20 days during the pandemic wouldn't have been that crazy because, you know, I kept thinking like, oh, there's a perfect time to get COVID because then I'd have an excuse for being sick all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's exactly. Not the drug and alcohol detoxing, it's COVID. That's what's wrong with me, <laughs> you know? I was, like, I was like, God, all those symptoms are the same, you know? Fever, <laughs> cough, vomiting, breathing problems. I'm like, shit. <laughs> what, um, what, what, like, when you were so when you're doing online rehab, are you committed? Are, are you committed to quitting, or you or do you think part of you is going, oh, this will be a temporary until I can start again? And then you know, how do you get to where you're almost a year sober now? Um, well, just the reason for having done it was very circumstantial. Mm -hmm. I think that um, I was just very unhappy and the nights were very long and very dark in the city and very yeah. lonely. 
And so once that element went away, you know, I'm spending more time with my daughter and just sort of, you know, it, it just, it was just, I needed a, a solution. And I think most functional addicts, alcoholics, they, they need a solution that works with their circumstances. Right. Like I can't, you know, withdraw in front of my daughter, you know? So, you know, you go to a doctor and they help you out and they sort it all out for you. So it was just like, yeah, I it needed to stop. It was yeah. over. There's really no question about it. it it's, it sounds kind of robotic. It's like, yeah, I decided to do this because it seemed like a good idea. Then I just did it. And then I didn't. So I stopped, you know, uh, you know, it was hard. You know, it was hard through the whole thing. It was hard. It was emotionally yeah. taxing. Whole this, That whole ex- experience with the driving was, it was an emotionally taxing experience in, in so many regards, you know, and it it's to come out of it, you know, sane, <laughs> somewhat sane, but yeah, no, I, as far as writing, you know, writing about it, I, like I, you know, talk to a therapist every week and it's like, I feel like there's so much, it's like hard to, you know, when you're writing, you know, you need to be organized, you know, writing is like cooking on a, on six eyes, you know, you got all these pots things, you got to, yeah, things got to be timed perfectly. I've got to work together. Um, so, you know, it's a lot going on. So, um, as I think in that, like, you know, yeah, like, you know, working with the therapist, getting the story out, figuring it all out. I mean, I was straight up with them. I was like, I got to write about this. I need, you know, help figuring out, you know, what's what, what, you know, just talking about it because it was so secretive. This was such yeah. a secretive part of my life. I never talked about it. I never realized that. Why did I do some of that dumb stuff I did? Oh, because I wanted a friend, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's like yeah. kind of bad when you think about it. Like the reason I did a lot of this stuff was because I wanted friends because I would end up parking the cab, going into people's apartments and hanging out with them. And I was like, that's right. pretty cool. You know? I, and it's, I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a sad thing. I think that is the human condition that we just want to connect. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and that's why, you know, bars are just so uh, inviting because you just want to connect, but then you connect with alcohol and it's just like, then all of a sudden it's kind of, you know, it's like, I, I drink periodically now, but I, but it's, I still don't, um, I wish there was more alternatives to the connecting, like in a bar where it's just, cause I, yeah. well, like, well I, there used to be coffee houses. Right. And that's what, I mean, I still, the, you know, I live in LA now, so it's coffee like house culture is screenwriting culture. Now it used to not be that way. When oh first, my God. When I first moved so to LA, dis- they didn't have laptops in the coffee houses, just people sitting around talking shit. <laughs> I'm like, get an office. It's I, I, I never bring a laptop to a, even when I'm writing, I never bring a laptop to a cafe. I'm always handwriting, come home, type it in, print it out, red line it the next day. I have paper with me. I never bring a laptop. I am not going to be that guy. Writing manually to me is the only way you're going to find your authentic voice because computers are so impersonal and you have so many allowance. You can write so easily. Because would Infinite Jest have been written on a typewriter? Would Dave Eggers write his stuff on a typewriter, a manual typewriter? That's like, you know, writing is like developed over time because of the technology, you know? Right. So to me, you know, writing on a typewriter, which is hard to do with the kid because she just like, you know, <laughs> locks on right. the every time she sees it. But, you know, handwriting is the other way. Yeah. yeah. Because handwriting, you're physically connected to what you're doing. And I think that you you develop economy. 
because you're like, oh, this is hurting my hand a little bit because my hand's getting sore. Do I really need to say this adjective? Does this adjective really need to go here? You know, because you start, you know, economizing and start saying, yeah, that doesn't need to be there. And that's when your writing gets good. I, yeah, yeah, you know, the, I'm, yeah. I'm a big fan of Raven Carver. You know, it's just like cut, 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 you know, write it and just cut, cut, cut it out, you know, until you. Oh, have- yeah, kill it. Oh, no, I'm on my like. 14th draft of my novel right now and it's just like i've had to cut so many things that i thought were that i still think are hilarious but i'm like it's not the tone of the book damn you know, it the, the tone of, of the yeah the thing about cutting though is that if you put it on the floor and it's still funny it comes off the floor and um, i also think that it needs to be written even if it doesn't make it into anything because the essence of it still gets into the scene it but, has to come out. It's a something. Yeah. It's an expression of you that comes out. I mean, yeah. I wrote a column every week, you know, every week, despite everything that was going on in my life, and so it was an exercise in you know in writing and forcing myself to go through things and deal with things, and and so I learned so much about myself as a writer. I learned so much about writing and how to you know to 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 produce content like that you know and not not be cheesy you know and you know cut things and just like anything that seemed good to me it's like i was really critical of it if i liked it i'm like oh that must be crap you know (laughs) so i i really harsh on myself so that then it has to filter through that process you know because again 700 words you know and the beauty of that is you're sending that 700 words to an editor who can tell you this is crap. We need a rewrite by by uh, 4 p.m. I, and I've and never that got, I never got a rewrite. Um, there were times when I would I would see it in print. I'd be like, why did they catch that? And they would tell me that you use so much, so many like like weird expressions from the cab world that we never know for sure what you mean. <laughs> You know, because I would say I'm like driving cab. Like it's yeah. like I'm, I'm leaving out the preposition, right? I'm driving mm-hmm. a cab. I'm leaving out the pro. I'm driving a cab. Right. Driving cab. It's just driving yeah. cab. Driving taxi in the city. You know, yeah. it's like how how the taxi drivers talked. You know, I mean, I I brought that in. You know, because it yeah. was like, of course you bring that in, right? Yeah. You're gonna bring in the vernacular. You're gonna bring in the way people talk. I never. Like, and that's the beauty of it, though. That's what that's the sexy thing about it because it lets us into the culture more than just the um you know more than just the descriptive uh way in it brings us into the culture of how to talk everyone i think every writer needs does that you know mm-hmm. you know good writers do that because they're trying to 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 create a character and that character has a voice we all have yeah. our individual voice so if you're going to create a person you're literally creating a person they have to have the way that they talk and, and I think that's always where you have things that are successful. It's where you, that person, the music they listen to, the way they talk, their their expressions, you know, the things they think are funny, you know, their sense of humor, you know, the yeah. way they feel about this and that. Like once you 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 exist in that person, you know, because I mean, I created a character for myself, you know, and, and you know, a lot of a cre- characters I was creating. Because I, I, I thought Tales of the City was the way I wanted to go. Yeah. That's what I always wanted to do was do tales of the city, but like about taxi drivers and drug dealers and bartenders. <laughs> you get, you've got your tales of the city. Yeah. I, that's what I wanted to do. I, it was like, that was like kind of like a little too ambitious, I think, but yeah, I, I, I like the create creating characters. I, and well, it's, know. and it, but you still have time in front of you to create, to condense and create what you what you're working on and to be more open on other things that happened that you weren't open on in the um 
yeah in the column yeah. there was yeah there was none of that and because i was drug tested every year too and every year I would have to pass a drug test. And every year I'd write a column saying the SFMTA sucks for making me take a drug test. <laughs> I don't know if you know that Beck, uh, that Beck um, song he did. I did one where it was like the SFMTA makes me want to smoke crack, which is the <laughs> play on Beck's MTV makes me want to smoke crack. Um, you know, I talk about people in the back cab doing blow and how it would get loose in the cab and it'd be wafting all around and be like, Oh no. <laughs> oh no. It's penetrated my nostrils. This is horrible. I have to take a drug test. I'm supposed to be pure. But then how many times I'd be like, the cab drivers are the best man. We're insured. We're drug tested. We're this and we're that. And I'd be like, just loaded out of my mind, you know, yeah. I mean, like, that's, that's, that's the crazy stuff, you know, that's yeah. the, that, you know, I think that it was a, it's a good story on, on itself, but I think that it's for me, it has to be the whole thing for me to even feel like relieved from it. It's like a yeah. pressure like a boil that has to be lanced because I, I really don't feel like I can move on with my life until I finish that. Yeah. You know, so. Well, I'm, I'm glad you came out of all of it. What a ride, man. I know it was a hell of a ride. That's yeah. for sure. And here yeah. we are. Here we are. <laughs> who thought, yeah, who thought COVID would would be our new reality and that yeah. good for some things, bad for other things? Yeah, yeah. It's a whole different world. Everything's changed. I mean, I I, I know how to use Zooms. I was I did Zoom like all the time, dude. I I I, used to, I was teaching on campus uh, all the way up until they were like, and now you have to take your class on Zoom, and I'm just like, oh, how does yeah, that work for you? I hated it at first and now I'd rather do it online because I don't want to commute to UCLA and, and, you know, and it's just like, and then going and then parking at UCLA and then walking to your class through all the students and you just, and I was the grumpy old professor that would just be like, get out of my way. I'm getting to class, you little twerp. So yeah, <laughs> I was, I was getting grumpier and grumpier. So I think online is doing is much better because I'm a lot happier and just like, let's just talk about story and I don't have to deal with getting to campus. But as far as educating people, you feel like it's effective to the computer. Uh, yeah. And I, I don't, uh, why well, I, I do some zoom and I do some where it's online only and yeah, it's, I've, I've figured out it's, you know, I had to, because I told them I would never teach online before you know, they asked me about it. I'm like, no, it has to be in the classroom. I have to smell their fear. You know, it's just like, that's what it's just like. And then now I had to massage that so much when campus was closed, massage how I interacted online that I feel like I can get the, um, I can get the students into the same mindset pretty fast on how I interact with them and interact on the discussion boards. And it's just like, we're here to work. Uh, but we're also here to have fun and just, it just really kind of set the tone. So by week two, they're like, Oh wait, Oh, okay. This is how it's going to go. So it, it's like taken so much for me to take my classroom energy and put it into online only that now I feel okay about it. I'm good about it. So. Yeah. I think it also helps too, if the students are motivated. Right. 
I think with like high school and middle school and trying to especially. Oh, I could even fathom. And, you know, in that really in that situation, that sucks for the kids because they're in their development years. Oh, yeah. And so that's when they got to be sitting there and playing with each other and fighting with each other and establishing hierarchy and being popular and being not popular. It's just like they need to go through that. It's you know you can't go through that on Zoom. So we lucked out because our our daughter, you know, started school right when it opened. So right when she was supposed to, so oh yeah, we dodged we dodged a bullet. She didn't do preschool as much as she you know would have normally, but yeah, we dodged a bullet with that because it's just I mean especially kindergarten on Zoom. Can you imagine? No, no. Can you imagine that yeah. how awful that had to have been? It's yeah, brutal. Kelly, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. It's finally we finally got together and did this. So glad we got it done.
Saint on Drinks with Tony, check out his new book, Dispatches from Behind the Wheel, The Omnibus, the complete zine series about driving for hire in San Francisco. Next week on the show, we have Iris Smiles. She's discussing her new book, Droll Tales. Do you know reading novels helps your brain function as well as dealing with relationships and learning empathy? If there were novels when Buddha was on Earth, Buddhism would be a weekly book club, along with all the mindfulness and goodness and vegetarianism. So read novels. It's especially important if you want to attract sexual partners or a relationship. And who doesn't want that? Have a great week. You're listening to 101.9 FM, KPCRLP, Santa Cruz.